go. Okay, the choice, the causes, the center, the celebration. We're now at the consummation, Psalm 150. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, because we're going to be looking at it, and we're teaching from it, and it's our final authority in life and belief, Psalm 150. Let's look at it and read it together. Let's uh, follow along as I read Psalm 150. Like all of these, it begins and ends with hallelujah. So praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent or surpassing greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord. And all of us say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Now, uh, you don't have to be a a scholar Berean to figure out the message of the psalm, right? What what do you see repeated in it? Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Okay. And I think by this time you could probably kind of explain to anyone what this structure, what's going on with this. So let's take a look at it. Just your introductory, the connections that, uh, that we want to see uh, among these five psalms. Because they're not isolated. They're put together for a reason. So Psalm 150 parallels Psalm 146 as the e- eternal consummation of our lifelong choice to praise the Lord. Why do I throw choice in there? Because of this chiastic structure where the... You move in closer and closer to the center, but these parallel, these outer brackets parallel. So the Psalm 146 was all about the wholehearted choice of a lifelong commitment. When does that lifelong commitment and choice come to its consummation? Is in the end of this age or the end of your life? Okay? So when you die, uh, you enter into heavenly praise... But even in heavenly praise, you're awaiting the great consummation here on earth. And we're going to talk a lot about that. (coughs) Got a catch here. So, oh, that'll sound good on the recording. The Psalm 150 was our wholehearted choice. Psalm 150, our wholehearted choice to praise the Lord as a lifelong commitment, reaches its consummating climax. Consummating climax in the new creation, when you look up the word consummation, you know, when you do theology, this word's always used. It's talking about the, the final conclusion of all things. You can just look up in Webster's Dictionary. Com- consummation means the perfection, the end of, of something, and it also refers to consummating a marriage. Okay, we went to, to uh, Kara's wedding last night. She was eager to get married. She said, I do twice, getting an extra one in there early. And then she went to grab and kiss Travis before it was time. It was, it was a hoot. It was good. She was ready. We should be that ready to see our bridegroom, right? We should be eager to see him. So consummation is also the consummating of a marriage through sexual union. And we just came out of Psalm 149 that talks about that, 
that spiritual union of the bride and the bridegroom. And so this word consummation is very apropos, as is the word climax, because it's going to be a climatic, joyous celebration of who God is. Now, when we're talking about consummation of this, no wonder this psalm begins and ends with praise the Lord, because all of life, begins and ultimately it will end in praise it's also this psalm 150 is a triple doxology why do i say that because it is the conclusion of these five psalms that's one it's the conclusion of the entire book of psalms that's two and then it points to three the final conclusion of all of history so this gives you an idea of what eternity is going to be like. Now, Psalm 150 also, second thing I want you to see, is it builds on Psalm 149. That's because 150 comes after 149. And once again, we're kicking it up a notch. And what does Emeril say after he says, kick it up a notch? Bam! Bam! And for us, we're talking about kicking our praise up a notch, okay? So let's look at, in 150, let's look a little bit at the structure. First of all, it's just a string of commands. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. In fact, it is, uh, we saw in Psalm 149, there was only one command to praise Him, and that was in verse 1. Here, every single verse has a command. Ten times we find either praise God, praise Him, or praise Yah. Shortened form of Yahweh. So even that last praise Yahweh is simply praise Yah. It's just short and punctual and and, and impressive, impactful upon us. Twelve times, if you include the beginning and ending praise the Lord, twelve times you have the command to praise. I think he wants us to praise the Lord, okay? I think that must be a major portion of what we're going to do in the end of history. In just six verses, this Hallel uh, root occurs 13 times, and nine times, in, nine times in a row, it's praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Why? Why, Why just praise Him? Third-person pronoun. Because the, the Holy Spirit assumes you've already read Psalm 1 through 149. I mean... All of those psalms have told us who God is and why to praise Him. And now you've lived your life and you've come down to your point of death. And all through your life you've been praising Him and He's been showing you His mighty acts, His surpassing greatness. All you need to be told now is praise Him because you know who He is. You know what He's done and He's shown you that throughout His life. And then the last verse of the last psalm in the book of Psalms is a not a command, but what does it say? Let everything that has breath. And for two psalms now, I've taught you what let means when you see that. It's, it's less than a command. It's more than a suggestion. It's like an invitation to which we must respond. It's an invitation that says something super significant has happened Therefore, kick your praise up a notch and let loose praising Him. And I'm saying in Psalm 150, that which has happened is 
God's big story has come to its consummating, climaxing end. The king's son kills the dragon. We saw that Psalm 149. Gets the girl, Psalm 149. And they all say it with me. Live happily ever after. That's the summary of Psalm 150. It's the happily ever after part. And what is the greatest joy in life? It's to know God and enjoy Him forever. Westminster Catechism. That's what we get to do. It's a beautiful thing how this unfolds. And so, the last song in the book of Psalms is all about us living happily ever after, praising the one who deserves all praise. Now, next thing I want you to see is that Psalm 150 picks up where 149 left off with eternal and universal praise. So, if you remember last week, what we saw was that, uh, in fact, bring up the next slide. Psalm 150 is like a crescendo of hallelujah commands at the end of the consummation of all things. So last, last week in Psalm 149, we said it really reflected Revelation 19, where the bridegroom comes, the warrior bridegroom, the bloody bridegroom comes with his beautiful bride. And he conquers, he He conquers all of her enemies and delivers her. Kills the dragon, gets the girl. Well, what comes after Revelation 19? Simple question. Revelation 20. You guys turn to your neighbor and say, you're a scholar. You're a scholar. Man, it's amazing. Revelation 19, you get Revelation 20. So Revelation 19 is the second coming. Bloody bridegroom, beautiful bride. Revelation 20 is the millennial kingdom. A thousand year reign with him on earth. And then what's Revelation 21 and 22? The new creation. And so these Psalms are walking us through. And so if Psalm 149 was about Revelation 19, I'm telling you, Psalm 150 is pointing us to that millennial kingdom that bleeds and blends and becomes the new creation. And so it's a command, commands, commands, And then finally, that invitation to praise. And the commands are so simple. In verse 1, praise God everywhere. It's the where of end time praise. Commands to praise God for everything. It is the why that we praise God. Commands to praise, praise God with everything. Answers the question of how do we praise Him. And then the invitation to praise. Who gets that invitation? Let everything that has breath. So really, this last psalm is like a, it's like worship 101. Where do we praise? Tell me. Everywhere. Why do we praise? For everything that God does and everything that God is. And how do we praise Him? With everything you've got. And who praise Him? Everything that has breath. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This is what this psalm, this is what we're going to do. So, last thing I want you to see in the center. Oh, go back there real quick. So, last thing I want you to see is the center of this. The center of these chiasm is what's being emphasized. 
Praise God for everything. Praise God with everything. That's the conclusion of history. That's where we're headed. That's why, listen to me, so, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not guilting anyone. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to challenge you. It's, it, it's my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do as a shepherd. And I don't have anybody in mind, but I'm telling you, if we go upstairs during our praise time and we don't sing with everything we've got because of everything he is and everything he's done, there's something wrong in our spiritual life. You say, but Chris, don't, don't, you know, we go through hard times. Yeah, I, I've sung with tears. I've sung without being able to verbalize, but I've sung. And now those songs that I have sung through tears and aching and confusion and, and not knowing what the next day would hold, those songs are now the sweetest songs that we sing when I sing those because my mind goes back. To when I sang those in the valley. And now I'm not in that valley anymore. Because I've got a great God. And I can sing it even louder. And even greater. And with more authenticity. And more transparency. Because I sang it in the lowest valleys. Listen, when you're going through the hard times. You don't bail on church. You don't bail on God and his people. You come and you sing praises to him through the tears. And again, that's why that the, one of my favorite choruses, praise songs, is the blessing, uh, bless, blessed is the name of the Lord. When all things are right in the world and when I sing it through the tears. I know I butchered the words there, but you, get, you know the song. You know the song, don't you, Dana? Yeah, sang it a few times. All right, you get it. Awesome. All right, I got off. I got to keep moving. Okay, Psalm 150 is the end times. End times, fancy theological word, eschatological. It's the end times party of praise. Throne in honor of who? Who's the, the guest of honor at the party? Yahweh himself. And we throw it in his honor. And to be honest with you, he throws it in his honor, invites us to it, because he knows the best thing for us is to praise him. It's not because he's an egotist. It's because he's a caring, loving God, and he deserves every praise he gets. And he knows that we have been created to give him that praise. So the best thing in our interest is to have a party in honor of him and show up and give it everything we've got. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. I love it. All right, let's keep moving. Oh, and it's just a reminder here, too. Psalm 1, we're talking about the whole book of Psalms. Psalm 1 began with... Uh, 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 blessed is the man who walks in the way of the Lord, right? And meditates on his law day and night. Okay, Psalm 1 begins with Torah keeping, with obedience. Psalm 150 ends in adoration. Our obedience is not the end in itself. Our obedience is our means to arrive at adoration. So, if you just focus on obedience as the goal of the Christian life, you become a legalist and you get burned out. When you understand that when I surrender him, submit to him, meditate in his word, live it out in my daily life, pray it, pray it through my life, you will erupt and arrive at the final goal, which is Psalm 150. So this is the ultimate goal. Okay, let's go. Let's look at it. Let everyone praise the Lord. The where of end times praise comes in verse 1. So let's look at verse 1 again. Uh, 
Praise the Lord. Opening hallelujah. Praise God where? In his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. So let me summarize that for you. Here it is. Where do we praise him? Praise him in his holy presence. In his mighty place. Which will, at the end of history, be on earth. And not simply in heaven. Praise him in his holy presence. And in his mighty place. Which will ultimately... (coughs) And I just got this catch today. Sorry about that. Now, what about his sanctuary? Let's look at it. It says, praise him in his sanctuary. Now, the word for sanctuary is the Hebrew word for holy. And it can be translated in a lot of ways. Literally, in this verse, it could be praise God in his holy presence. It could be praise God in his holy place. Maybe the earthly temple. Maybe the heavenly temple. I would say to you, that it's parallel with the next verse, or next uh, line of the song, praise Him in His mighty expanse. The mighty expanse refers definitely to heaven. These two lines are parallel. So I am suggesting to you, praising God in His sanctuary is in His heavenly sanctuary. Praise Him in His heavenly, holy place in His mighty place of heaven. But, here's the thing about this psalm. There's no distinction between like verses 2 and 3, where you go from 1 and 2, you could say 1 and 2 are in heaven, but then 3, 4, 5, you're, you're using earthly instruments. And unlike Psalm 148, there's no division here between heaven and earth. That's what I'm trying to get at. In Psalm 148, it says... Praise Him in the heavens, all you angels. Then He says, Praise Him on the earth, all you earthly creatures. Here, you don't see a division between heaven and earth. Here's what I'm suggesting to you. I think the point is, praise Him in His holy presence and in His mighty place, which is now where? On earth. You got it, Dan. You got it. Because that's where it's all headed. And there's just no division between this. Therefore, it seems to me that the wear of of praising is everywhere, but especially when heaven comes on earth, the heavenly place where God dwells in his holiness with earthly praise of his people. And this is exactly where redemptive history is headed. This is exactly what happens in Revelation. Christ comes down with his bride, he conquers the earth, and then he sets up his kingdom on the earth. And then God is there, the Son is there, the Spirit is there, and the whole earth is the temple. Are you with me? And so we are praising him in his holy presence. All right. So that's what I think this is implying and saying. Listen to the last prophecy of Zechariah 14. Listen to Zechariah 14. In that day, the day of the Lord, there will be inscribed on the bells of horses, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like bowls before the altar. 
Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. Horses, cooking pots. What is he saying? He's saying the everyday life here on earth will be holy unto the Lord. In other words, every moment, every day, in eternity, on earth, will be a holy praise party to the Lord. Now, what's that mean for you and me? Well, notice this. The now, not yet. Praise Him here and now in holiness with all your might. Here's the point. We who know the King and who are the bride of Christ... We already have God's holy presence dwelling in us. And when we gather as a church, His holy presence is here. And so we should praise now like we're going to then. And how do we do it? In holiness as He is holy and with all our might because He is mighty. Does that make sense? Listen, we're living... And I don't have to tell you this, but you know it. We're just living in a filthy culture. And we get dirty in it. And that's why we need to keep confessing, repenting, confessing, letting the water of the word wash over us, letting the Holy Spirit convict us and keep purifying. And when we come here in Sunday, whatever sins we've committed need to be under the blood. We come and we worship in holiness And we worship with all our might because the strength of the Lord is within us. Amen. And that should come out in how you sing. It should come out in how you stand when you sing. It should come out in how you gesture with your singing. And hey, I'm a guy that isn't comfortable doing gestures. But one, two reasons. I I force myself to do it for these reasons. One, because I know it's in there. And sometimes I've got to go beyond my personality. Are you with me? Number two, I know as a pastor, I lead by example. And I want people who are even more expressive than me to see, oh, it's okay to do that here. Are you with me? With all my might. Now, if you see me running up and down the aisle, you might want to talk to me about that. that you know, that's not where we're headed. But I think we could get a little, a little more action going right you know and and for for me you know that you know just like doing that's a lot of action for me you know for jeremy jeremy's got a little more action going on he's able to you know do some calisthenics and i like that so whatever it is that's what we should be doing in holiness and in might let me take you to one passage real quick second samuel 6 turn your bibles to second samuel 6 and I want to show you that the Bible is teaching this in one of the greatest examples. And it's King David. Ah, you know, ding, 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 ding. King David, King David, the, the, the greater son of David is going to lead our praise. Now look at 2 Samuel 6 and let's look at verses 13 through 15. This is when they have brought the Ark of the Covenant. And really David, in an earthly way, has fulfilled Psalm 149. He has conquered the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. He has recaptured the ark, which is the presence of the Lord, symbolically on earth. 
He's bringing it back into the city of Jerusalem that he has reconquered. He has conquered, and it's Zion. And here's what happens. 2 Samuel 6, 13 through 15. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, I mean, they'd just gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was what? Dancing before the Lord with all his what? With all his might. And David was wearing a what? A linen ephod. In other words, the, 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 the adornment of a priest. The white linen that it says in Revelation, we're going to come back dressed in white linen, the, the righteousness of Christ. So David is living out what Psalm 150 is saying. He's dancing with all his might and he's wearing his linen and fod. But you know what? David was also a sinner. And David ultimately sinned and he murdered. And he he uh, 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 took advantage of another man's wife and using his entitlement as king. And listen, listen to me. But there's one greater than David who is a sinless son of God, the sinless King David. And he is going to lead us in this kind of pure, holy, mighty praise. Isn't that cool? Where do we praise him? Everywhere you're at. Hey, wherever you're at, don't get cleaned up to come to church. Come to church and let Christ clean you and, and instill in you his righteousness. And then throughout the week, praise him. Worship while you work. Okay, so that's the deal. Secondly, the why of end times praise. Why? Every act and attribute of God is worthy of praise. Why do we praise? Because of every act and attribute of God. Look at verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent, or you could translate that, His surpassing greatness. Now, here's what it means. Praise Him for mighty acts that reveal His surpassing attributes. We praise Him for what He does because it reveals who He is. And that's the center of our praise. And again, you say, well, what mighty acts? What surpassing greatness? Read Psalm 1 through 149. He has told us all throughout. Better yet, read your entire Bible. Because from, Revela uh, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we are repeatedly seeing the mighty acts and the surpassing greatness of our God. If I had to uh, just define praise as, as simply as I can, it's, it's the glory of God's good acts and his great attributes. It's giving God the glory for what he does, the goodness of his acts, and for who he is, the greatness of his character. Now, there's all sorts of of verses that I could read here uh, just going through these. But let me just give you a couple. Let's read a couple. Uh, turn to, to one, Psalm 145 since you're there in Psalms. Turn to 145 verses 3 through 6. And these are just some verses that combine God's mighty acts with God's surpassing 
greatness. Okay, so let's take a look at some of the Psalm 145. Let's just look at verses 3 through 6. Are you there? Okay, great. There you go. There it is. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So you know what that means? You know what that means, Jody? It means we can't outpraise God's greatness. You say, wow, praise team did really good today. Yeah, you know what? It fell way short. Wow, I sang my heart out today. Awesome. It still fell way short. Now, that doesn't mean leave defeated, right? Or, or, you know, don't go up to our praise people and say, wow, you fell short because God's greater than that. That's not the idea. The idea is you can't give him great enough praise. Isn't that glorious? That's why it's going to be all eternity. You say eternity is going to get boring. We're going to sing the same three praise songs. No, we're not. No, we're not. I don't know what it's going to all be like. And some people think, man, if, if, if and I understand this, you know, if, if heaven, if eternity is going to be a church service, count me out. Okay, I get that. I've been in bad church services, okay? I, I understand what that is. But it's, it, no, it, he, his holy presence is going to be here. His mightiness is going to be on display. Ephesians says it's going to take all eternity for him to explain his grace to us. And so with every revelation of his grace, eternity, there's going to be greater praise. I don't know how that works, but that's what's going to happen. I I guess I just want you to, to think right now, Lord, I could praise you better. I can sing better. I can, I, I can express my praise better, not just here at church, but every day, every day of the week. So, uh, wow, we didn't even get past verse 3. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Listen to me, listen to me. You want to impact your kids against this culture and this worldly system? You've got to talk to them about the great acts of God and not not export that out to even here at the church. You've got to talk about it in your daily life, when you're going down, when you're waking up, when you're walking. You've got to pass that on, and it comes out of your praise. Listen, I, my dad, I, I don't think he was a believer, and if he's there, he's going to be grace of God like all of us, but I don't think he was a believer. But here's what I remember of my dad coming home from work. He worked hard. He was a great provider, and he worked hard, and he came home, and all I remember at our kitchen table is him complaining and criticizing. That's all I remember. And, you know, I don't, you don't want to be remembered for that, right? You want to be remembered for uplifting God and greatness notice verse 5 on the glorious on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works i will what meditate you've listen you praise if you come here to church and you're like okay i i've been living in the world thinking like the world living like the world and now i come and i expect the praise and the preaching to ramp me up ain't going to happen. Now, it may happen by the grace of God gets you saved. And God periodically reminds you to convict us. But listen, if that's how you're living, I feel bad for you. Because that's not the Christian life. And true believers don't want to live that way. Listen, we, 
the, the average church is our church in size and in capability and in outreach, all of that. This is, the, this is like the, your average church. And listen, there's more than enough here for us to be uplifted in praise. There, you know, I mean, what more do you need? We point you to him. We sing about him. We, we seek to live for him. He's the reason. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. All right, that's good. That's good. Okay, we got to keep going. Oh, wait, number six. Men shall, verse six, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your what? Of your greatness. Of your greatness. Oh, man, there's just so more we could go. But let's, let's keep moving. Now, what's this mean? Now and not yet. Well, I kind of already gave you that. Praise him for his mighty act of your salvation that reveals his surpassing greatness. Here, here's the thing. If we had time, I'd take you through these verses that all talk about his mighty acts and his surpassing greatness. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that zeroes in on one major event. And I bet some of you know what it is. What is it? In the Old Testament, from which all it happens early in the Old Testament. The Exodus. It's the Exodus. All the rest of the story of redemptive history flows out of that, where God's uh, ten uh, plagues come upon. And the greatest plague is what? The Passover, the firstborn, the slaughter of the land, the blood that is a covering for our sins. And then the, the, uh, through the Red Sea, the mighty hand of God is displayed. And then the conquering of the promised land. And all of that is a picture of what? The greater son of David, Jesus Christ, who goes to the cross and conquers our sin, who raises from the dead and spills his blood to cover us. Listen, every day, the greatest thing you can praise God for is what he's done for salvation and who he is in our salvation. Our judge has become our savior. Can we say a hallelujah? Yeah. Yeah, so this, go through your day. Here's the thing. I don't care how bad your life is right now. Well, I do care. I care how bad your life is. My point is, no matter how bad your life is, these two things don't change. He is still, if you're a believer today, he has performed the greatest, mightiest act. You say, yeah, but I want out of this tough spot. Hey, I do too. I want out of every one of my tough spots. But just like Jonah in the belly of that well, God puts us places where we'll look up to him. Amen. And what doesn't change is he doesn't change. So through the tears, through the confusion, through the fear, we still praise him for everything that he's done. Now you say, Chris, how do I do this on a practical basis? I go back, here, here's how I do it. I go back to the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. Here's what it says. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Fourth stanza. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. 
Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. And then we will erupt into this party of praise. Here's the hard part about praising, though, counting your blessings. First, the first difficulty is taking time to do it. Can, are, are you with me? Taking time to count your blessings. But the hardest thing for Christians, and I've prayed and I've trained uh, many of you to do this, the hardest thing to get Christians to do is to first, having counted their blessings, trace those blessings back to God's attributes. Okay? So Paul had some carpal tunnel surgery that went well, right? Amen. He's going to have the other hand done. God, I thank you. I praise you that this surgery went well. Now you've got to trace it back. God, you are the ultimate healer. You give doctors and you give all... God. And then he was telling me how God provided this. God, thank you for providing the lowest possible price for this surgery. Trace it back to who he is. You are the ultimate provider. Every good gift comes down from you. Do you see how you trace the gift to the giver? And that just gives you, you know, and that's just, that's from interacting with Paul. That's just one thing that happened in this whole room. There is so much praise that could go up from this past week. Amen? All right, there you go. But Chris, how do I do it? Well, glad you asked. Number three, the how of end times praise. Do it with everything you've got. Oh, I love this. This is the major part of this. Look at verses 3 through 5. I'm not going to read those again. See you in there. What do you notice about 3 through 5? What's the focus? Instruments, thank you. Yeah, I mean, Brian is real easy. You look at the Bible and you just see what's there. Okay? So here's the idea. The consummation of praise is a concert of praise. Now, did you guys know that Chris and Audra met in orchestra at Winnetonka High School? Is this right? Oh, I'm sorry. Junior high at Antioch, my alma mater. So they met in concert, though, right? Yeah, a concert of praise, of love happened. Now, notice these instruments. And you guys are my experts over here, so correct. Yeah, yeah, Audra was avoiding Chris at that point in life. You know, this, this is, again, like if God would tell you everything that's going to happen, you'd freak out, right? I mean, you know, can you imagine? Oh, uh, I won't, I'll get in trouble. So here's the deal. There's four kind of instruments in a concert band. Is that correct? In, a, in concert, there's four kinds. There's brass. There's strings, there's percussion, and there are woodwinds. Am I right? I'm way out of my league on this, but I, I studied this week. Eight different musical li- instruments are, are listed here. Eight, the number of completion. And you throw in some dancing into the mix. Look at the variety. All four of the types of instruments that form the modern symphony orchestra's foundation. And what is all of this meant to do? When you throw the tambourine and you throw the dancing in, here's the point. Praise is a party thrown in Yahweh's honor. It's a party. It's a party. There's dancing, there's noise, there's instruments. So let's look at these instruments. First of all, praise him with the blast of blessings. Praise him with the blast. Do what? Yeah, 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 yes, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not saying I know how this works out, but I'm just saying first you just got to get it into your heart, okay? Okay. Now, here we go. Praise him with the blast of blessings. It begins with the ram's horn because every big event in Israel began with the ram's horn. And this makes us think of the trumpet shout at the second coming of Christ. So it it puts us into the end times once again. Everything began. When you went to war, there was a ram's horn. When you anointed the king, there's a ram's horn. When you wanted to warn people of the day of the Lord and Joel, it was a ram's horn. When you wanted to call people to repentance, a ram's horn. When you called them for feasting and worship at the festivals, it was a ram's horn. And above all, on the day of atonement, the ram's horn was blown throughout the land. All of this is is implied in this, but most of all, the idea here is that the king in his holiness and in his might has taken over the world and he is fulfilling God's purposes, the blast of blessings. Then you see the sweetness of salvation with the harp and the lyre. This is interesting. Uh, When you look up the harp and the lyre, it's often called the sweet-sounding, the sweet sounds of the heart and the lyre, which are, you know, handheld stringed instruments. And David was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. The idea is salvation is a pleasing thing, and we should praise him, and our praise of him for salvation is a beautiful, pleasant pleasing sound third praise him with the rhythm of redemption now we throw in the tambourine and the dance now we got the rhythm going you know pat and i are big rhythm guys you know you you need to see us dance no you don't but we yeah square dance yeah there you go i remember that hated it but you know sweaty palms was my big issue on square dance day All right, praise him with the rhythm of redemption. So here's the idea. Here's the idea. It says tambourine and dancing. Okay, so here's your improvising, right? Now, I love in our praise music, we are so blessed in our our praise ministry. I love, and and a lot of times it's Sarah, maybe it's others of you. I don't know who, I, I just know. So the little shaky egg, the egg with the, you ever hear the shaky egg? Do you ever hear that? Yeah, the shaky egg. And then she was like the tambourine wild woman a couple Sundays ago. I said, Sarah, that tambourine was just awesome. It just, oh, that was so good. You did so good. All those little things. Just, you know, and I think I, well, I don't have the rhythm to do it. But, I, you know, I could play a shaky thing, but I just shake it all the time because it's just great. The rhythm of redemption. And then praising with the melody of mercy. The next thing is the melody of mercy throws in the strings and the flutes. You were string guys, right? Yeah, the string guys, Chris looking at Audra instead of playing his violin or whatever. Chris or Gwen was a flute, a flautist. Is it a flute? That sounds like a Mexican food. Is it a flautist? Flautist? Flutist? Something. Anyway, she played the flute. The melody of mercy. Now you got, you know, so I love, don't you love Emily on the cello? And Sarah, when she does the violin, it just, listen, you need to be listening for these things. First of all, we got skilled, spirit-filled people doing it. 
But second of all, it adds to it. They do it on rhythm. They do it on time. And it adds to the melody and it adds to my praise. And then praise him with the clash of consummation and the loudness of love. This is literally like the climax in uh, in intimacy. It's just that loudness, that, that crash. And he doubles up on the symbols because he has come. Like everything in music, I always thought these, you know, you ever seen that video of the guy has the symbols and it, like it breaks, his symbol breaks. And so he, he's so desperate, high school kid, so desperate that he's still like, he doesn't even have the symbol and he's still, you know, hitting it together. And it always comes at a climatic time, right? And that's the idea here. So what do we do? What's this mean? Now, not yet. Praise him with everything you are and you praise him with everything you've got. These instruments, some are drawn from the temple. Some are drawn from everyday life. Why? Because we're supposed to praise him everywhere for everything with everything you've got. Does that make sense? And so just give him your all. You say, well, I can't play an instrument. That's not the point. Give him your all. And then finally, we come to the who of end times praise. And it's everyone that has breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let me give you four reasons why I think it's everything that has breath. This is interesting phrasing. Let me give you four reasons. Here they are. First of all, It reminds us the consummation is fully realized on earth, not up in heaven. I don't know if angels have lungs. You know, they speak and everything. But here's what I know. There's only humans had the breath of life breathed into them. And I I, I know that this phrase probably includes any creature on earth that has, that breathes. But only one creature and that is made in the image of God, had God's breath. The point is, the ultimate praise. You hear people, listen, the the ultimate praise is not up in heaven. The ultimate praise is going to be here on earth in the new creation. Secondly, it keeps the focus on the uh, creator's image bearers who are the mediators of all praise. Jesus Christ is a man, and we are, and he is fully God, fully man, but we are going to be restored in his image. Number three, it ties breathing for living with breathing for praising. So every breath to blow a trumpet is also a breath that enables you to live. We live to praise and we praise to live. And you give it everything you've got. And then number four, and I end with this, it motivates us to stay on mission until the return of the king. You know why? This is God's heart. And we're going to hear about it from Jonah 2. God's heart is for everyone to praise him. So listen, folks. World outreach is a reminder that worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. We have missions because he wants everybody to praise the Lord. And our praise moves us. We're going to, upstairs, we're going to see in Jonah 2, Jonah, when he repented, he sang a psalm of praise. And we're going to see in Acts 13, we see in Acts 13, that Paul and Barnabas were called out of a worship service. Worship 
is the fuel and the goal of missions. And that's what we see in this psalm. Amen? So you just keep praising the Lord. And as you praise, tell other people about his mighty acts and his surpassing greatness. You can't out-praise our God. Let's pray. Father, what a climactic ending to all of history. Lord, we're doing dress rehearsals when we gather here, especially upstairs as a body. We're doing dress rehearsals for all of eternity. Lord, let us give it everything we've got with everything we have for everything you've done. Let us do it everywhere we go in this coming week and for the rest of our lives. And Lord, let the beginning and the end of our lives be a resounding, and you guys say it with me, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, in Jesus' name.